you know, it just brings the landscape alive and makes it more vibrant in a way that goes beyond just having pretty flowers. Uh, butterfly milkweed is only one of a number of native milkweeds that we have in Missouri. It's Asclepias tuberosa. It's a perennial. It is freezing outside. Your lawn may be the last thing you're thinking about. But really, what better time to start planning? And maybe you've thought about replacing your super basic lawn with a garden featuring native plants. If you're like many people, though, the thought may stop there. What to plant, how to make it look good. It feels like a lot to figure out. It doesn't have to be. I love our native grasses. I think our native grasses are amazing. One of my favorites is Little Blue Stem, and it's actually, it's a very widely distributed native grass. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. A group called the Wild Ones Natural Landscapers is now offering a native garden plan that's specific to the St. Louis eco-region. It's free to anyone who'd like to use it. And joining us today to talk about this plan is Susie Vanderreet. She is the owner of St. Louis Native Plants. She's also part of the Wild Ones Natural Landscapers group and the designer of the St. Louis Native Plant Garden. So Susie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah. Glad to be here. So let's talk about the big picture here. What makes native plants so much better for local gardens than something more exotic? Well, a couple of things. Uh, you know, they tend to be a little bit more suited to our environment, our local ecology and our climate uh, and soil conditions uh, in the area. And so uh, they, they seem like they're a little bit better just working with our environment in general. Hmm. We don't have to add amendments in. We don't have to throw a ton of water at them if we put them in a place where they want to be. Um, so it works better with the environment in that way. And then we also have the wildlife side of things where they actually support our local ecosystems. Um, there's a lot of wildlife benefit that can come from native plants. And while some exotic species may offer a little bit they don't compare with native plants in that realm. Hmm. So this is something that it both helps the wildlife and it sounds like it's a lot easier. You're not going to have to, to fuss over the maintenance or watering the way you might with a plant that was designed to be elsewhere. It can be. Uh, the maintenance side of things, it really depends on what kind of design you put together and how you put the plants together. And there's certain plants that we can choose from. Uh, for instance, you know, if you want something that's less seedy and weedy, then you might want to choose, you know, a clump forming plant as opposed to something that's going to be a prolific self-seeder. Hmm. And so there's ways that we can we can make it uh, lower maintenance, not necessarily no maintenance, though. Hmm. I'm curious about your personal involvement with this. How did you first get in on this idea of native plants? Well, so I think that um, horticulture runs in my veins a little bit because my uh, my grandfather on my mom's side actually worked at Missouri Botanical Gardens for 60 plus years wow. until he passed away. And so um, I think that that definitely may have had some influence um, in, you know, kind of how we were raised uh, to appreciate the outdoors. And, um, you know, but beyond that, I didn't really get my hands into it until I bought my own house in 2009. And, uh, you know, basically the house included a yard that was, you know, had some boxwood shrubs and had very weedy lawn. Hmm. And that was the extent of it. And so um, I started kind of looking around trying to see what what I might do with this and uh, how to best take care of it as it was or plants that I could put into place. And, and most of the responses that I seemed to be coming across were 
um, you know, throw fertilizer at it, you know, herbicide to kill the weeds and mm. water your plants and, you know, just more demand on the earth's resources, basically. And, um, and then also putting chemical out there. I didn't really like that side of things. So being a little bit skeptical, I looked, uh, I did a Google search, looked online and um, typed in something like environmentally friendly plants, Missouri, hmm. and came across native plants. And there's a wealth of information and resources out there to support anyone who's looking to uh, integrate native plants into their landscape. So that's kind of how I fell into it initially. And then through some different key players, some big names in the field uh, and in the native plant world, ended up um, coming across the Brain Conservation Home Program with the St. Louis Audubon Society. And uh, it was recommended to me by Scott Woodbury at the Shaw Nature Reserve that maybe I get tied in with them so I could uh, become a habitat advisor for them to go on site visits at people's homes and learn a little bit more about uh, native plants in that way because the Brain Conservation Home Program offered um, you know, classes and trainings for their habitat advisors. And so it seemed like a logical way for me to get involved and volunteer my time to do that. Hmm. And when I got involved with them, then I started to understand the wildlife connection to native plants because wildlife has evolved with our uh, native plant palette. And they basically, they, they coexist very well with each other and have for many, many years. And so, um, you know, I just didn't understand going into that how much benefit there was there. And we have, you know, they, they rely very dependently on each other. And so it's, it's, that was where things uh, really took off for me and my love for native plants. My passion just went up like 10 notches because, you know, now I was kind of like, well, why, why aren't, why isn't everybody including this in their landscape? Because, you know, it just brings the landscape alive and makes it more vibrant in a way that goes beyond just having pretty flowers. Hmm. So this has really become a calling for you. It's fascinating that it all began with researching your own yard. Today, is is your yard, um, is this a, a wonderful, wild native garden? Oh, absolutely. Yes. In fact, both, <laughs> uh, both of our homes in Tower Grove South have been converted to all native plants. Hmm. And actually, there's some different certification levels that you can get with the Brink Conservation Home Program, uh, platinum being the top, and both of our... Uh, home landscapes were platinum certified. Well, that's exciting. And and look, yes. this is not just something where you have to have your skill set with plants in order to do this. You've now designed a garden for anybody who wants it. How did you end up taking that on? Well, so I was actually, I was invited to do it by the uh, St. Louis Chapter of Wild Ones and uh, the National uh, Wild Ones Landscapers uh, as well. And uh, they they asked me to do that because of my experience uh, already designing with native plants and uh, also because of how much I designed for wildlife. And that was something that they placed uh, a lot of importance on for putting this design together. Um, so, and I'm not sure if you're asking about how I actually brought the design pieces together or just kind of well, how sure. I got involved Yeah, that. no, that's a, the perfect segue to that. How did you bring those design pieces together? Well, so I always liken... Uh, you know, my what I do as a designer uh, for landscapes is kind of being a composer of a symphony. You know, hmm. when you go to St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, for instance, at Powell Hall, you can kind of hone in on individuals who are playing their piece on a violin or a drum or flute or something like that. But, you know, what, what they're doing is they're a part of a greater whole that, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of different players there that are, you know, bringing that together to one purpose and one big sound, you know, for the majority of it. And so 
I kind of look at my efforts as a designer the same way that I'm bringing together all of these different moving parts. And so one of the things that I would um, you know, start off with, and I always start off with with any design, is doing a site analysis and looking at site conditions. Um, it's one of the lesser flashy parts of design work, mm-hmm. but definitely probably one of the most important things to take in consideration when you're putting together a design because you know, when you look at moisture conditions, sunlight conditions, uh, soil conditions, any of that kind of stuff, um, that's all to be taken in consideration to figure out what type of plant community would thrive in that environment. Mm-hmm. And so based off of that information, you can arrive at a, a particular plant palette that you can work from. And um, so with, with the Wild Ones design, I basically I got to come up with my own um, idea of what the site was like based off of what are some, you know, what some typical uh, landscape um, kind of uh, conditions that people run into in their yards around here. And so, you know, one aspect of the design I decided was going to be shadier and a little bit more low lying and kind of wet, you know, or, or wetter area. And then there was another area that I did that was, um, you know, it's slated to be more of a glade environment. So it would be more rocky soils, a little bit, you know, higher up and very well draining. So water doesn't sit in that area at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and kind of went across it like that. You know, we did like, I did a woodland area, you know, full sun, more prairie sort of setup. Um, a lot of different types of, of native environments kind of set up based off of that site analysis that I had, you know, fictitiously decided or determined for this design. And then from there, um, I start applying different design principles, um, you know, and a lot of that ends up ultimately concerning wildlife as well. But some basic design principles, you know, color blocking and putting large clusters of plants together. Um, that benefits wildlife, especially pollinators. Uh, when you're putting a lot of different flowering plants um, together, you know, of the same species, it gives somewhat of an organized look, but it also makes it easier for things like bees who um, mm. exhibit a trait called flower constancy, where they'll visit the same flower after the same flower after the same flower of the same plant. And um, so it really is a benefit to them to have these plants touching each other and have kind of the same, you know, cluster of plants, maybe somewhere in the realm of three to five feet wide of a space to appeal to things like them. Hmm. But it also for us as humans is more aesthetically pleasing sometimes to have these groupings and have repetition across the landscape so that, um, you know, it looks more intentional for us too and maybe not quite as wild. Mm -hmm. It also makes it a little bit easier to maintain just because we have these large groups of plantings. So it's a little bit easier to keep an eye on things, kind of keep them in the area we want them to stay in. And um, I think one of the other big things is to also, you know, that really particularly uh, benefits wildlife is that we want to make sure that we have some sort of interest throughout the whole year. And so, you know, particularly in the growing season, this is going to be really important for beneficial insects. Um, so if we have, you know, something blooming continuously, and so with the native plant palette, that's not going to be necessarily like every single plant blooming for the whole summer. So that's something that I take in consideration that, okay, so this plant is going to be kind of fading out with its blooms, you know, at this point in the spring. And so now I want another plant to take over from that point on going into the, you know, summer, early summer, Mm -hmm. then I might have another one kind of take over midsummer going into the fall and so on and so forth. And there's so many plants for uh, Missouri that that are native that um, we can select from that carry across the summer and well into the fall. 
So it gives us a lot to work with and a lot to support um, our pollinators and beneficial insects so that they have something throughout the whole growing season to support them and sustain them. So there's a lot of intentionality there. Um, If you can just briefly tell us about some of the plants, what are a few in this garden that might be familiar to all of us? Well, so um, butterfly milkweed is definitely one that I think might be a little more familiar as people start hearing more about the struggles of the monarch populations and their migration and kind of how they're disappearing. There's been a lot more of coverage of that in the news. And mm-hmm. uh, butterfly milkweed is only one of a number of native milkweeds that we have in Missouri. It's Asclepias tuberosa. It's a perennial, so it will return every year. Um, But this is actually a host plant to the monarch butterfly caterpillar. And so this is something that is essential for the monarch butterflies to survive and thrive. Hmm. And so if we can plant even a cluster of this, you know, really nice milkweed, um, and this is actually probably one of the more formal milkweeds, I would argue, and uh, has beautiful orange color, and it's just an amazing plant. And so that's one that I think maybe people might be a little more familiar with or at least have heard something about. Hmm. What's a choice um, that we've never heard of that you would say, this is the plant that you need, that this this is, you know, this grows great in these conditions, this one is a superstar? Hmm, that you've never heard of. Well, <laughs> keep in mind, one, I have very little knowledge of plants. So it <laughs> well, one, so I always I love our native grasses. I think hmm. our native grasses are amazing. And uh, there's so many of them. And one of my favorites is little blue stem. And it's actually it's a very widely distributed native grass across the US too. Um, little blue stem has one of the most awesome varieties of color throughout the different seasons. Right now, it's displaying this beautiful sort of orangish tan kind of, um, and then it's got this like fluff, almost eyelash sort of fluff, uh, Hmm. the persisting seed heads that are remaining on the plant. But it's got this really cool sort of blue jean color to it in the springtime and going through the summer, and then it turns beautiful different fall colors. Uh, It's just something that's, you know, kind of unexpected with that plant. But it also is, uh, it's a host plant to skipper butterflies, and so to their caterpillars, it would support them as well. Hmm. And um, does really well in dry conditions, uh, you know, for the most part, that's what I would put it in, full sun. And um, it's just, it's, it's a spectacular grass. Hmm. So. Well, there's a great recommendation for the blue stem. I'm, I'm now very interested in that. Um, and I want to encourage people to check this out for themselves. This, this, as you can tell, a lot of thought has gone into this plan. This is Susie's Symphony. Um, and you can find this at nativegardendesigns.wildones.org. Um, and check this out for yourself. There's very detailed instructions that'll give you a good starting point. I will say, I think I mentioned there, Susie, that I am not a plant expert. And looking <laughs> at this plan, it made me feel inspired, but it also made me feel vaguely overwhelmed. Is this something meant that people can just do on their own, or this is a starting point they could take to a professional? Uh, either or. You know, I think that there's some people that may want to try to um, integrate that themselves and apply that in their yards. And I think that there are ways that you can do that piecemeal to make it less overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also think, though, if somebody's looking at it and, and they're just, you know, they're like, I, I don't have a green thumb at all, nor do I really care to, mm-hmm. then you might want to bring in a professional to actually help you apply that landscape. And so a professional might look at this and be able to use this as a jumping off point for your particular yard, or they Absolutely. would follow it more precisely. 
Yes, I, I think that they could do both, you know, and I think that they, you know, understanding is the main thing would be that they understand your particular site conditions in your yard and then they would be able to maybe pull one section or the whole landscape, but, you know, be more realistic, pull maybe one section that applies to those site conditions and be able to apply that particular landscape. Okay, well, that's a, boy, this is just a great resource. This is here at nativegardendesigns.wildones.org. We'll also get that linked on our website, stlpublicradio.org. Uh, Susie Van Der Reet, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.